This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The Illawarra Turf Club turned on a day to remember at Kembla Grange on November the 23rd to bring down the curtain on a remarkable Everest carnival. Mr Seawolf's win in the feature gave jockey James MacDonald a unique double, the hunter and the gong in the inaugural year of the two new races. There'll be a few more highlights before year's end. Thursday, December 12th, we'll see the running of the Wyong Magic Millions two-year-old classic and the Magic Millions three and four-year-old stakes. To Randwick on Saturday the 14th of December for the running of the time-honoured Group 2 Villiers and the half-million-dollar English Nursery with the Group 3 Summer Cup scheduled for Boxing Day. Keep an eye out for one of the popular night meetings at Canterbury Park, a perfect venue for a Christmas party. The show rolls on in New South Wales racing as an unforgettable 2019 comes to a close. The future belongs to those who plan for it was a quote popularised by the legendary horse trainer Colin Hayes. Victorian jockey Stephen Baster may have had that quote in mind when he made the decision to quit race riding and seek a career in the real estate business. Although the news surprised many in the racing industry, the popular jockey stuck fast to that decision and brought down the curtain on a great career when he donned the silks for the last time at Sandown on November the 16th. And what a fairy tale ending it was. In a nail-biting photo finish, Stephen won the Group 3 Sandown Stakes on goal fields at his very last ride in a race. As a mark of the esteem in which he's held, the popular jockey received a standing ovation when he brought the winner back to scale. The superbly fit Stephen Baster is an accomplished triathlete and recently became the first professional jockey to be a competitor on the Nine Network's Ninja Warrior. Steve, thanks for your time on the podcast and right off the top, congratulations on a magnificent career. Thanks, Tabby. That was, uh, that was some introduction. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, Steve, yesterday, November the 23rd, was your first raceless Saturday in a long, long time. Any withdrawals? No, not at all. I was actually, um, I've already started the new job, so I was uh, very busy running around doing a, a different type of work, but uh, still enjoying it. Uh, I did check the results, though. I did check the results. <laughs> I'll bet you did. It was a true fairy tale ending, wasn't it, at Sandown? Goldfields had been racing really well. And I think deep down you thought he had a pretty good chance in the race. Yeah, look, I'm probably, um, <laughs> probably, probably fighting with myself, trying to convince myself that uh, he was still going well and uh, he'd been up for a while and his form had been great and I was just praying that everything would go right. And uh, even Kendry, the gaze, I was thinking, oh, he probably doesn't feel as good as what he normally does and mm. talking myself out of it. But uh God bless him, he, uh, he put his nose out and uh, did the job for me. Mm, very close finish. Did you think you'd won? I wasn't sure after the line and I was taking deep breaths so that I wouldn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> You've only had five rides on that horse, three wins, two placings, and he would have been your last winner even had he been beaten at Sandown because you'd won the Sale Cup on him previously. 
Yeah, that's right. So um, that was another thing that was going through my head. I, I was thinking, oh, well, at least he was my last winner no matter what. And, uh, mm. you know, with the association with Logan McGill, who was also apprenticed to Mark Riley, um, same place as me, it was uh, very fitting. The euphoria of the win would have propped you up emotionally for a while, but I'll bet you were feeling a little bit empty as you walked off the course that day. Yeah, look, it was a strange feeling even in the morning going to the races. Uh, it was a strange feeling and uh, I, I was, yeah, I, I, it's really hard to describe, really hard to describe. I don't know if it's widely known, but you gained your accreditation as a real estate agent about three years ago. So this has been in the back of your mind for a long time. Yeah, that's right. I um, I did plan it uh, three years ago and my wife and I, we've got two young daughters and and we just felt it wasn't quite the right time and um, uh, Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott came along and I had a really good year so we delayed it for a little while and I just kept researching and um, connected with a lot of people in real estate to get their advice so that I was prepared for the day when it did come. And, uh, you know, I think it started off really well and I probably couldn't have asked for a better start and and also obviously a better finish to my, to my career as a jockey. Mm-hmm. You've obviously dabbled in the real estate business in the last few years, learning the ropes from experienced people. Yeah, I have. And uh, Lucky Racing um, has a lot of real estate agents involved in it and a lot of um, high-profile real estate agents. So I've been able to get some really good advice and some uh, – a lot of help off some of them people. Mm. Let's give the company a wrap. You're working for McEwing and Partners, who have an office in Mornington and another one in Mount Eliza. So you're not going to, to get any travel stress getting to work. It's close to home. Yeah, we live in Mornington, so it's uh, very close to home. So I won't be doing the kilometres that I have been used to doing. Mm. Um, but I will definitely be busy. And uh, yeah, McEwing and Partners are a very good company, a little boutique firm. They're down on the peninsula and uh, Dean Phillips, my boss, is uh, he's been selling real estate down there for 20 years, so mm. he's a very good man to be working for. Now, do they deal in all aspects of real estate, Steve? Sales and rentals, and residential, commercial, the lot? Yeah, they do. They do the whole kit and caboodle. So, uh, I mean, they specialise in residential, but uh, they do do commercial also, and obviously they have a property management team as well. Now, let's begin your profile with a piece of news that will stun many of your fans. You're a pommy. <laughs> yeah. Migrated, yeah. came with your parents and your sister who was, or you were two years old. Uh, what brought the Bastards to Australia? Yeah, look, I, I think they were just, uh, you know, they uh, were sick of the cold weather and uh, thought it would be a good idea to give it a try and um, I'm, I'm very glad that they did. Mm. You spent much of your early life in Brisbane uh, you left school after year 10, didn't know what you wanted to do, thought you'd have a look at a racing stable during school holidays, and you approached a very well-known trainer in Roy Dawson. Yeah, I'd, I'd seen a little bit of an advertisement in the paper he was looking for a stable hand come apprentice jockey, and I'd never touched a horse in my life. It was only that I was tiny, and mm. uh, everyone kept telling me I should be a jockey, and I, I loved animals, so that's why I went there, and uh, yeah, that's where it all started. Later, you went to Tony Shears and Lindsay Hash, who had a training partnership. Yeah, Lindsay was um, Tony's foreman at the time, and uh, mm. they had a property in between the Gold Coast and Brisbane, and I lived with Lindsay, and 
Tony's wife, Lee, got me going to Pony Club and uh, living with Lindsay, was, I was getting a lot of good advice from there. So mm. they, they really got me going and uh, I can't thank them enough. They gave me a great start. I was there for about a year and uh, I probably didn't appreciate it at the time what they did for me and uh, they, they really got me started. Now, it was Tony or Lindsay or both who happened to know that there was a position coming up in Melbourne with a core field trainer called Mark Riley and you decided to make the move. It was a big decision. Yeah, look, I think Lindsay was mates with a guy called Steve Brown who trains down here now and and he knew Mark really well and, and they said to me, look, if you, if you want to make it as a jockey, you, you probably should go to Melbourne or Sydney. Um, they're, they're, they're the sort of the mecca of racing, so... Um, I was lucky enough that I jumped on the plane, 16 years old, and, and moved down to Melbourne. And Mark and Lisa and the family took me in as one of their own. And I was just blessed to run into the right people at the right time. Mm. You had your first race ride in September of 1991, but you had to wait for your 12th or 13th ride to win a race. It was a horse called Grey Alley at Taralgon, a grey mare trained by S.T. Lanyon. Was that Tommy Lanyon? That was Tommy Lanyon, yes, it was. What a big moment. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I look back now and laugh because I was, uh, you, they'd never let you go to the races now, the, the stage that I was at. I think I'd you know, ridden a few jump outs up the back at Caulfield and, you know, I probably didn't have the experience that's required, but uh, they, they used to just throw you in the deep end and mm. back in them days, nobody could see you because it was all non-TAB meetings and, and it wasn't on the TV. So this day and age, they go to the races a lot better prepared. Mark Riley paid you a massive compliment in 1993 when he put you on a horse called Mukta in the Group 1 Oakley Plate when you were still claiming three kilograms. That's unheard of, Steve. Yeah, it's actually hilarious when you look back and watch the video because I, I was still claiming three and didn't have a lot of idea. But, uh, look, I'm a big believer myself um, of certain horses suit certain people and, and that horse really suited me even though – I was just a passenger. He basically just took me along. and I, We'd put a couple of senior riders on him that, that sort of tried bossing him around and, and standing over him, and he, and he didn't appreciate it, whereas mm. with me basically tied to his back, he just ran as fast <laughs> as he could. And uh, <laughs> I'm a bit embarrassed when I see the video now. But, uh, yeah, look, amazing for Mark, Mark and the owners to put me on. This day and age, wouldn't, the stewards wouldn't allow you to ride in the race like that. Oh, so no, no. I was, uh, I was, again, blessed to be in the right place at the right time. Mark Poder, a part owned the horse, Steve, so he had a bit of say in the matter. Yeah, and uh, and I'd, I'd had a good record on him. I think I won my first city race on him, and uh, I might have won a listed race on him before that mm. as well. And um, I think Malcolm Pay may have been riding him, and he got suspended, and, and I picked up the ride on him one day, and that, that's how it started. Mm. You stayed on Mukta for the 1993 New Market. You ran fourth, not very far away, and then the following year, you actually won the new market on him, so he was a special horse for you. Yeah, one year he, one year he obviously won the Oakley Plate and then fourth in the new market, and the next year he was fourth in the Oakley Plate and won the new market. So, um, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a fantastic horse to me, fantastic horse to me. You won another Oakley Plate later, about 2003, for Matthew Ellerton, a horse called River Dove. Yeah, which was great, and uh, I, I actually got there a little bit sooner, but we held on, held on to win, so... It was uh, good to ride a winner for them guys when they were just starting off. You know, they were just a, a young team starting off, Matty Ellen and Simon Zara, so it was, a, it was a big thrill. You did the final year of your apprenticeship, and I'd forgotten this until I looked it up again the other day, with Mick Kent. Good time there? 
Yeah, look, I, I probably got ahead of myself at marks and uh, was riding all the winners and probably thought I was better than what I was. And um, I, I thought Mick Kent was a totally different style of trainer to Mark, and I just thought it could help um, help my riding style. And, and look, I probably wasn't in the right frame of mind at that time. I, I stayed with Mick for a year and then um, went off the rails a bit and ended up uh, going to Queensland for a year and, and then came back to came back to Melbourne after that. Mm. You won another new market in 2002 on a horse called Rubitano, trained by Brian Mayfield-Smith, who'd returned from his African experience and had reignited his training career in Melbourne. I think, Steve, this was your one and only ride on Rubitano, so you picked the right day. Yeah, it was funny because I'd been riding a horse for, for Hayes as I, I was... I was um, a horse called North Boy, and I'd won, I think, three in a row or something on him. And it was when Scotty Seaman was flying. He was winning all the group ones. And mm. and uh, they decided to go with the more senior jockey and put Scott Seymour on. And I, I didn't have a ride until sort of acceptance this morning. And Brian decided to accept. I think he had four horses in it. Mm. And he had another horse, Prince Rubiton, that I really wanted to ride. And and he said, oh, look, you can't ride him. We've got Peter Mertens on him, but you can, you can ride Rubitano. And uh, if you have a look at that finish, I think there's about 10 of us going over the line with about a neck between us all. And uh, I was blessed that my bloke put his head down and right at the right time and just got his nose in front. Mm, you know you rode him at 51 kilos. Could you still do that a few years later? Yeah, I could. I've, I've always been pretty light my whole career. I, I, I still rode 52 my last spring carnival. And uh, I've always been big on my fitness, so... And I'm, I'm not the biggest bloke, you know, so I'm, I'm one of the luckier jockeys. Mm. Another very good mare you rode only once was Divine Madonna for Mark Kavanagh. But again, you got on her on the right day. You won the 2006 Emirates Stakes and she stormed home from a mile back on that occasion. Yeah, that was massive. That was uh, Cav had just moved to Melbourne and... Uh, um. He'd opened a little little stable there at Flemington, and uh, yeah, I got the call up to ride her, and she she was an amazing mare. She uh, the sprint finish she had was was, was uh, mind blowing. Did you rate her right up there with the best you rode? Yeah, definitely, definitely. She she was a star. She was a star. You'd gotten to know Paul Perry in Melbourne, where you rode a horse called Proprietor three times for him without winning. And you were very flattered when he invited you to ride him in the Galaxy at Randwick, and this time he got home. Yeah, it was good because I haven't, I didn't ride in Sydney a lot, and uh, uh, it was really good to get a Group One winner up there. You know, it's uh, Paul and Shannon. I'd got along with them really well for, for a long time, and every every time I'd, they'd come to a carnival in Melbourne, they'd, they'd give me a ride. So, yeah, it was it was a thrill to get a ride in a Group One up there and, and get a winner. Your first Group 1 success with Gay Waterhouse came in 2007 when you won the Futurity Stakes on a mare called Aqua de Moor. Again, that was your only win on the mare, but you picked the right race, a Group 1. She could be a bit quirky, couldn't she, Steve? She had a few funny habits. Yeah, she's um, she's uh, got a really uh, – I've really got a soft spot for her in my heart because she uh, was probably the start of Gay Waterhouse and Stephen Baster because – I rang Gay and said, look, I know that mare's a bit of a handful in the barriers, and I wasn't going that well at the time. I said, do you mind if I come in and ride a work, if I could ride a race day? I'd love to put a bit of time in there and, and try and get a ride in the barriers and ride a race day. And Gay said, of course, Stephen, come down. Beautiful. So, <laughs> <laughs> so down, yeah. down I went, and uh, and uh, that's how that began. And, yeah, to get a Group 1 win on her and for Coolmore, who 
I've ridden floor right through my whole career as well, so it was that that was massive. Yeah, your association with Gay remained strong right to the end, and you rode work for uh, frequently, as you said. Uh, a nice win you had for Gay and Adrian not long ago was the Geelong Cup of 2018 on a horse called uh, Runaway. You rode him in the Melbourne Cup too. Yeah, it's funny, you know, it's funny how things things work out because I've ridden a fair bit for um, Nige Austin and Anthony Mithin and that, that, that own Runaway and um, Geelong's their hometown and uh, it was a massive, massive night that night after after winning that because I think they had uh, – I had a tent there with about 500 of their employees in it, so it was a massive yeah. night. And uh, Well, I remember thrill. I was trying to get you on the phone uh, during that period. It took me three days to find you. <laughs> yeah, it took my wife the same. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was one, of my, one of my better wins for a, for a country cup because it, it meant so much to everybody. Yeah, well, imagine if he'd won the Melbourne Cup. We'd still be searching for you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I, – I, I think 2400 was sort of his trip, so uh, getting to the two mile was always a question mark, but it, it was obviously everyone was a big thrill to have a runner in the Melbourne Cup. Before we leave the Melbourne Cup, you had a total of nine or ten rides in the great race, and you got a big thrill in 2007 when you ran third on Marla behind Efficient and Purple Moon. Now, Steve, how did you get to ride one for Aidan O'Brien? Uh, again, that was the Coolmore connection, and uh, the guys at Coolmore um, kicked up for me to ride it. And he only had a lightweight, and uh, it was you know it was a big thrill to meet Aiden. And uh, you know I walked the track with him the morning of the race, and I'd ridden the horse a little bit of work, and he uh, he didn't give you the greatest feel when you rode him work. He was just a dead set stayer, so mm. I was uh, yeah lucky enough to get on him, and uh, you know even to, to run a run a place in the great race was was an amazing thrill. Mm. He never raced again after that Melbourne Cup. That was his eighth and final start. He'd won a very famous race in England before coming out for the Cup, uh, the time-honoured St Ledger. Yeah, he was like, like you said, he didn't race again, but he was he was a very good horse, and it's a, a shame. I think he had an injury, and uh, that that's cut his career short. Mm. It must have been very satisfying to win the Group One Emirates Stakes three years ago on a horse called Awesome Rock because eight months earlier he'd lost the Australian Cup on protest to a horse called Preferment. Now that the dust has settled, did he deserve to lose that race? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, yes and no. I, I, I must admit at the time I, I, was, I was awfully concerned, you know. Um, and I went, went back to the jockey's room and asked the boys what they thought and uh, – they weren't they, they weren't they weren't that keen that I was going to keep it. So um, yeah, it was probably uh, one that oh, it hurt. It hurt Tabby. It hurt, but um, it you know that, that's racing. It happens, and you know we, we won the race out there and then lost it in the room. Um, but you know, eight months later, we managed to get a Group One and uh, Stan Sarek, who owns him, I get a, I'm really good base with. So it was a massive thrill, and it was and it was a two million dollar race eight months later. So um, yeah, it was a big thrill for Leon and Troy Corsons as well that, that I've ridden for since I was eighteen. Yeah, you rode that horse fifteen times all up. He only won three races. He didn't win all that often, but he was never far away either. Yeah, look, he always raced in the best company. So um, he was a stallion, so he. Uh, he struggled sometimes, but, but when he found form and, and things went right for him, he was very good. You were thrilled to win another Group 1 for Gay Waterhouse 
in 2017 when you got home in the Victoria Oaks on a filly called Pino who was sold to overseas interests after the race and you never saw her again. Yeah, that's a bit shattering because she was a superstar and um, looking back now, you know, watching the Oaks, she uh, she missed the kick and, and, and was back early and, and she, was a, she was a dead set stayer, like a star stayer. And uh, everybody knows Gay doesn't like him ridden quiet. So going out of the straight, I just popped out and uh, I didn't imp- I didn't get any, go any quicker. I just waited until they steadied up and I slowly snuck around the field and um, went forward. And oh, she was just too good for him. She 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 was an absolute star. So it's, it's a shame we didn't get to see more of her. We're just going to pause for a moment, Steve, and clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you in just a moment. The English Digital Online Sales have changed the landscape of mixed Australian thoroughbred sales forever. Now, rather than wait for a mixed sale through the ring, owners, breeders and vendors can offer their product within a matter of days thanks to the twice-monthly English Digital Online Auctions. English now presents an online auction in the middle of each month and another at the end. Since going twice monthly, the auction has averaged around 150 lots per sale and has exceeded a million dollars per sale with a clearance rate of almost 80%. To enter a horse or register a bid, visit englishdigital.com and follow the prompts or call 9399-7999. Our special guest is former jockey Stephen Baster, who won a Group 3 Sandown Stakes at his very last ride in a race uh, recently on a horse called Gull Fields, and he's now settled into his new career in the world of real estate. Now, Steve, I want to jog your memory about a certain horse. We've got to go right back to 1997 to find the horse you say is the best you've ever been on. You only rode Line Hunter twice for the late Tubby Turner. You won a race on him in Brisbane, and you ran second on him in the Galaxy at Randwick. He only raced eight times. How good was Line Hunter? Yeah, he was. He was a beast. He, I, I left Melbourne and went to Brisbane to ride him um, for a couple of reasons. One, one was that I thought he was a star, and the other reason was that uh, I was losing my way a bit in Melbourne and probably playing up too much and, and not doing my job. So I went with Tubby up to Queensland and. Uh, Tubby's son, Kurt, and I basically ran the stable and we, we only had seven horses or eight horses in work. And it was a great – I think I was only there seven months, but it was a, it was a great for me to get back to loving the job. And Lion Hunter was there and he was a bit of a handful. I used to go and ride him every afternoon because you couldn't lead him around because he'd stand on his hind legs and strike out all the time. So mm. you'd stand on him. He's, he's like a show horse. He'd walk around on his back legs. But uh, uh, I loved him. I loved him. And I think he broke the track record at Doom, and I think he still might hold it now. Mm. And unfortunately, he overreached after the galaxy. He overreached in his attendant, and and that's why we never saw him again. And then he went to stud. Mm. And what a great job he's done at stud. He had a marvelous pedigree. He was by Dane Hill. He was out of that beautiful mare that Colin Hayes trained, Pure of Heart. She was a group winner. So it, it's been no surprise that he's gone on to be a very good stallion. Yeah, I mean, if, if you looked at him, um, his confirmation, he was oh, he's the most perfect-looking animal you've ever seen. You know, he was a, a, a Greek god if you looked at him. You know, he was just mm. beautiful. So um, I, I really loved and really enjoyed my time riding him. You were a rather late starter in the marriage stakes. 
Now, five years ago, you married a jockey, Melissa Walters, who rode her share of winners, six in town, but you were very pleased when Melissa agreed to quit riding. <laughs> yeah, funny you should say that, John. She sat next to me at the moment, and uh, as soon as I uh, as soon as I hung up the boots from from track work about two weeks ago, um, she was up at three o'clock in the morning and going across the road to our neighbour's place, and uh, she she's back riding work, so she's she's in a very happy place, mm. and uh, she gets home she gets home about seven thirty on the morning, and uh, then I get ready and I go off to work, so. It's worked out well for us, and uh, we're, we're both loving our jobs. If she rode six winners in the city from limited opportunities, she obviously had a bit of talent. Yeah, yeah, no, she did. She did well. She did well. So um, I, I don't know if I'm too keen on her getting back to doing that sort of thing, but uh, yeah, she's she's like me. We both love our horses, and uh, you know, we've got uh, plenty of photos on our walls at home of our favourite horses that. Uh, not necessarily won the most races, but just ones that uh, have been good to us over the years. And we've got a little property in Mornington that, we, that we've got a couple of horses on, so it's, uh, yeah, it's great. You and Melissa are the proud parents of two lovely little girls, Penny, who's three, and Izzy, who's four. Do they understand their dad is no longer a jockey? Um, no, probably not at this stage. Um, they're probably a little bit young, which is one thing that uh, – you know that I had to toy with uh, hanging around a bit longer because Melissa wanted to, uh, not well, and myself obviously wanted to see them at the races and see me see me riding winners. But uh, look, they were there the day that I won the Emirates and and the day that I won the Oaks as well. So they might not remember it, but uh, we've got plenty of photos and videos of it. And uh, yeah, we'll always be around horses, so so there's no problem with them uh, being at the races. They, they're Grandparents uh, is a horse horse trainer as well, so uh, yeah, they'll still be around the horses. I presume your new and busy life will preclude your continuing in the role of president of the Victorian Jockeys Association, a job you've handled very diligently for a long time. Will you still have the time to do it, or are you out of it? Um, look, I'm I'm still going to be there about so I'll still be consulting and, and be part of the association but I won't I won't be president um, because I, I won't be there day to day I think I think you need uh, either one of the boys or the girls that, that's there every day and part of it but um, I'll, I'll never be far away I'll always be on the phone to Maddie Highland and mm. quite happy to help out when I can. Your sporting and recreational interests are well documented the triathlon is your favourite yeah, look, triathlon probably got me to move to Mornington five years ago. Um, it's such a beautiful part of the world down there. It was a great place to train. Um, so we moved down there, and I started doing the triathlon. And it's um, it ta- it's a bit of wear and tear on the body. So um, I've actually stopped doing the triathlon now and just doing more cycling. But I, I do love the fitness side of things. So being a real estate agent will be a bit different because I won't be getting up as early on the morning and doing as much. So I hope I uh, can stick to some sort of fitness regime at some mm. stage. You must have been pretty fit on the occasion you had a crack at that famous Peaks Challenge in the Alpine region of Victoria. It's a 235-kilometre cycle marathon with a fearsome final leg up the back of Falls Creek. And yet I read somewhere that you completed the trip in under 10 hours. That's a terrific effort. Yeah, there was a bit of a story to that. There was a big group of guys that 
I go cycling with a guy that's he's about sixty eight years old and he's as fit as a Mallee bull and mm. they they all they'd all trained um hard for this three peaks challenge which which I did as well and um when we got to the very first climb about forty Ks in, my bike actually broke. I I snapped the rear derailleur and uh I thought my day was over and uh Surprised you couldn't hear me in your studio. I was swearing awfully loud, and everyone was mm. going past me, and there's nothing I could do about it. But I was blessed that uh, that year was the first year that um, Canyon Cycles had spare bikes there. So within about 40 minutes, they they brought me a brand new bike to ride, and uh, away I went. And obviously, I was on my own, and I got to the back of Falls, and everyone told me it's it's like a war zone there. You're 200 k's in, and you've you've done about 3,000 meters of climbing, and all of a sudden, you get there and there's people off their bikes and people laying on the side of the road because it's like it's like climbing a, a wall. You know, it's uh, a tough climb, and I was blessed that I got to the top of the climb and ran into my old mate Todd, and we got to cycle the last 10, 15 k's together and go over the line together under the ten hours, mm. which is uh, which was an amazing day, amazing day. Well, that fitness level that you're talking about prompted you to apply for a spot on the famous television program Ninja Warrior. Now, Steve, many people in the racing industry jumped off their lounge chairs when you suddenly popped up. Was was that solely your decision or did somebody egg you on? Oh, I, um, I was always keen to do something like that when I was younger, but I, I never probably had the time and I was probably getting a bit old to, to sign up for it, but I was, I was sitting in the car at the races one day and it came up on Facebook that uh, applications were open. So um, I signed up and I asked a few of the, few of the jocks that I got along with well down here. We got a bit of a group message and uh, I asked them. And of, and, of course, they were keen for me to go on it, hoping that I'd make an idiot of myself. So <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> it was one of the most nervous things I've ever done in my life because I was thinking oh, I'm going to make a goose of myself on, on national TV here. But uh, it worked out well and I, I really enjoyed it. Well, you certainly didn't make a goose of yourself because you flew through the first four obstacles and then you came to those funny-looking swinging things with tiny little handlebars on either side. Now, you held on to the first one safely. You took that mighty leap and you just couldn't get a grip on the handlebars on the second gadget, whatever you call it. Yeah, I think it's called the flying squirrel, I think they call it. That's but, uh <laughs> It um, yeah, it got the better of me, but uh, I must admit, I was. Uh, if anybody saw the show, I was very happy to get over each obstacle. You know, once it, once I got over the first, it was relief. Once I got over the second, I was elated. So uh, anything after that was was a bonus. So mm. I was uh, really happy that I got that far because the bloke before me fell in at the first, and uh, he was the only one I'd seen go. So uh, I was very nervous heading into it. Would you do it again? Um, I wouldn't say never, but I doubt it because the the guys that uh, that are the top top of the show they're they're amazing. They're, they're freak athletes. They're young, and they're uh, the ability they've got is unbelievable. You're a super fit forty four, embarking on a brand new career and a brand new life. You can look back on the old career with great pride. Well over fifteen hundred winners, fourteen Group Ones. And right throughout your career, that smile of yours, that beaming smile, uh, is has been your trademark. You've had plenty to smile about when you look back, haven't you? Yeah, look, I, I, I feel like I've been blessed. You know, I've met the right people at the right time. I've, I've been doing a job that I love 
Um, you know, it's involved fitness, working outside, working with beautiful animals, great people. Um, I've, like I said, I'm, I'm one of the lighter jockeys. You know, a lot of the boys and the girls these days are a lot heavier than what I was, so they're really struggling. I don't think I could have sustained a career for this long if, if, if I had to waste like they do. Mm. Um, people don't appreciate how hard they, how hard a lot of them do it. So, you know, me smiling, I think it was, uh, you know, it was just natural. I just uh, I loved the job and, and probably did it a little bit easier than most people do it. If ever I meet a person who's looking to buy a house or a commercial property on the Mornington Peninsula, I'll direct them to McEwing and Partners and tell them to look out for the little bloke with the smile bigger than himself. Thanks, Tappy. It's a, it's a beautiful part of the world down here and uh, not many people leave once they get there. So, um, yeah, I couldn't recommend it high enough. Steve, congratulations on a big job. Well done. Uh, you were right up there with the best of Victorian jockeys over a long period of years and I can't think of a more fitting finale than a group winner at your very last ride. You must be pinching yourself. Yeah, like I said, John, it was an un- unbelievable finish, fairy tale finish, and uh, I'm glad that I held back the tears, mate, because people would have held, uh, given me a hard time about that for a long time. So, But <laughs> it was a, a great way to finish. Lovely to have you on the podcast, Steve, and all the best for the future. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks, John. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress.